everyone. From Yum Day and Van Balen Productions, this is Every Day is a Food Day. Anna Van Balen. And I'm your other host, Leah Ballantyne. On Every Day is a Food Day, we celebrate food stories from our calendars to our kitchens. On today's episode, we're talking about everyone's favorite liquid, wine. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Join our Facebook group and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Food Day Pod to let us know what you're thinking, cooking, and eating. And drinking. And for more info and resources for the show, check out our show notes and visit us at yumday.co slash podcast. On Every Day is a Food Day, we believe that food stories are people stories. So pop a cork. Or open a can. Or tap that box. And let's tell some stories. So, uh, Leah, do you want to see my wine stash for yeah for, for recording this episode? I would love to see it. So I brought um, I brought up a little cooler into oh. my studio, and tonight today we have um, we have a rosé. Ooh, pretty paper plains fried school. Isn't that a pretty can? That is really pretty. We have a Pinot Grigio from Bev oh, Wines. Oh, Bev, and we have uh, a Grigio with bubbles. Oh, from a Babe Wine. Grigio. Very nice. And we have some frozen mixed vegetables. <laughs> you know, just to you start with. Got to have some frozen peas <laughs> with you. And then uh, we also have, because I didn't want the boxes to feel left out. No. I got this big old. That is a pretty is, box. Uh, block 67, Trader Joe's Red Wine. Ah. Anyway, what do you got? Um, yes, I also, here in my closet, I mean, recording studio, <laughs> I brought some wine as well. I'm currently sipping on a can of wine. This is from House Wine as well. Oh, so, lovely. It's cute. And I have another wine, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna save this wine for, I'll show it off a little bit later to you. Ooh. It's also in a nice package. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Let's get started. Yeah. So. Okay. Leah, you yeah. started Yum Day because you wanted to celebrate all the food holidays, but mm-hmm. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Are there any beverage holidays? Well, okay. Yes. So I chose Yum Day because I was like, I'm going to celebrate all of these food holidays. And then in the process of doing that, I discovered that there are a ton of booze holidays as well. Booze holidays. I mean, I get it. I guess people want a reason to be drinking. Mm-hmm. But it kind of caught me by surprise because there was a week where it's buttered rum day. Great. Mm. I'll learn how to make a buttered rum and I'm going to celebrate this. But then also later that week was Irish coffee day. And then there was another alcohol day like a few days after that. And oh, man. so I was not ready to really just get into all of the alcohol days. But there are many of them. <laughs> I mean, I think it makes sense. We talk every time about how important food is to society, to culture, to our relationships. But so are beverages. You yeah. know, we literally fought wars over tea. I mean, mm-hmm. like coffee, Coca-Cola, and alcoholic beverages. Like these are all part of our ceremonies, our traditions, and things like that. So it makes perfect sense to me that we'd also be celebrating 
all kinds of beverage holidays. And the boozy holidays, I think it's a lot harder for people to just be like, man, I feel like drinking. And it's it's a lot easier for people to be like, I mean, it's like Mojito Day. It's National Mojito Day. Like, Mm -hmm. what am I supposed to not have a mojito on (laughs) National Mojito Day? I have no choice in the matter. But yeah, we started talking about boozy holidays and wine holidays because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic. And there's all these jokes about how our wine consumption has increased. And that's not just a joke. There's actual data to support that. So these stats that I shared with you earlier, uh, on-premise drinking. So on-premise drinking is like at bars, restaurants, breweries, things like that. Mm -hmm. Off-premise drinking is at home drinking comfort of your home drinking Uh (laughs) it's on my premise um (laughs) so in the first half of 2020 according to nielsen off-premise drinking spiked 27 percent. what yeah wow wine specifically has jumped a lot boxed wine right yeah so from february 2019 to february 2020 uh like year over year boxed wine sales increased five percent Okay. But in the two months of like the first two months of COVID, boxed wine sales went up 44%. <gasps> that is insane. So I think it's fueling this alternative packaging boom, which we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. But we started talking about this and uh, then you started telling me that there's like a million wine holidays. Oh, yeah. There are so many. From my food holiday calendar audit that I do, mm-hmm. there are more than 30 wine celebrations that I've identified. And I'm sure there are even more out there that I just have not picked up on yet. But yeah, there's a lot. 30? Yeah. That's like one every 12 days. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's a lot. I'm telling you, it's a challenge to keep up with all of these days. Oh my God, it's such a burden Uh, for you, Leah. uh Uh-huh. It's so tough. It's so tough. (laughs) But yes, there are more than 30 days. And I mean, you've got like these kind of general wine day. So there's a let's drink wine day. Then there's just wine day. There's an open that bottle night. Um, And then you also have these really super specific days that celebrate, you know, a particular varietal of wine. So you'll Mm -hmm. have like a Pinot Noir day or a Grenache day. Um, So yeah, we're just making excuses to drink all types of wine (laughs) as much as we can during the year. (laughs) So are there any specific wine days that jump out at you as like having really cool or interesting backstories? The one that kind of got me that I I had no clue about. So it was fun to learn about this. Mm-hmm. was Malbec. Malbec. And yeah, Malbec has Malbec World Day. Okay. Um, and, and this is really fascinating. So Malbec World Day is celebrated on April 17th. And, you know, this, this holiday was established pretty recently. I think it was 2011 when it was founded by a group called Wines of Argentina. So mm-hmm. that's the association that promotes Argentine wine. And they wanted to celebrate Malbec and really promote Argentina as a major wine destination. Right. Makes sense. All, all Malbec is made in Argentina or most Malbec is made in Argentina. I think of it as an Argentinian wine. Oh, me too. Um, so not all of it is made there, but more than 75% of the world's Malbec is grown in Argentina. So yeah, like you, I've always just thought Malbec is an Argentinian wine. Um, it's from there. That's where it grows. That's where it com- comes from. But mm-hmm. Malbec was not actually an Argentinian varietal. What? Uh-huh. Some Scandalous. people... I know. Some people say this grape had an identity crisis. <laughs> Who doesn't? (laughs) Right. Who am I? What what am I doing? What am I? (laughs) What am I? Where are we? (laughs) I feel like that sometimes. You and me both, Grape. (laughs) 
<laughs> so this Malbec World Day, which is celebrated on April 17th, is a very special day. And the April 17th date actually means something because there are a lot of food holidays where the date is, you know, pretty random. But in this case, the Wines of Argentina Association picked out the 17th of April because that's the day when the Argentine uh, statesman and journalist Domingo Faustino Sarmiento Ooh. decided to make it his mission to transform Argentina's wine industry. And okay. by the way, this guy, I guess he did such a great job. He did go on to be president. Of I Argentina. mean, I so, think it was the Malbec. I think it was too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he really did execute on this mission, obviously. Yeah. And the way he did this was he uh, invited a French soil expert named okay. Michel Amé Puget to bring some new varietals to the country. And what he brought over was, I think, uh, some types of cab and the Malbec varietal. Okay. You know, he was trying to see what could grow there. Mm -hmm. They were able to get Malbec cultivated and growing really well in Argentina. Wow. Yeah. I'm not I a mean, I'm not a soil expert like Mr. Mm -hmm. Mr. Puget. Uh-huh. <laughs> but don't France and Argentina have like very different climates? That's what I was wondering about. Like uh -huh. <laughs> what is the difference here? And apparently the temperature was just a little bit warmer in Argentina. Uh -huh. And it was because of that climate difference that oh. it helped the grape grow. Versus in France, um, where Malbec was growing, it faced some harsher winters. And so okay. it was a little bit more of a challenge uh, to really thrive there. Okay. So, yeah. so Argentinian Malbec starts gaining on French mm -hmm. Malbec, starts getting a little competitive. So... Here's the crazy thing. Mm -hmm. Malbec was doing pretty well, right? But the thing that actually made it kind of skyrocket and become the export um, mm -hmm. in Argentina was that in the 1950s, there was a crazy freeze that happened in France and it wiped out almost all of their Malbec vineyards. <gasps> no. Yeah. Plot I twist. Know. Yes. That's so the little bit left in France. <laughs> was like got you know they had a terrible freeze and then it was gone and then that meant there was and really Argentina, only one place. <laughs> Argentina was like this is our moment. Yeah. It is our time this to shine. Is our time to claim Malbec as our own. Mhm. Mm and now that I'm and looking at the word Malbec like that is not a Spanish word. Right. That is yeah, a French so, word. <laughs> they say the name Malbec came from like some uh Frenchman who planted it whose name was like Monsieur Malbec. I can, I can see the Argentinian like marketing team being like just throw a vowel at the end guys. <laughs> Malbeco. Malbeco. There vino, we go. vino Malbeco. <laughs> bueno. <laughs> Muy bueno. <laughs> Muy bueno. But yeah, can you believe that? That is dr a dramatic turn of events. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then by the 1990s, star varietal Malbec mm -hmm. becomes the biggest wine export from Argentina. That's why we all think Malbec is from Argentina. Mm -hmm. Those are the things we associate um, with Argentina. Yeah. And that and tango. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tango. And steak. And Can't singing from balconies. Steak. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cry for me, Malbec. <laughs> okay, cool. What other wine days do we love? I'm a big fan of kind of these random generic wine days. I think yeah. they're so much fun. I love the days that are just drink wine day or open that bottle night or wine and cheese day. And they might be random people, but I think the way we've talked about them before, these people are our heroes for starting these days. But what I really love about these, like, open that bottle night or, you know, drink wine night, drink wine with friends night, is that they celebrate not just the liquid in the bottle, 
but the social aspect, the experience, like what it means to us, yeah. right? Because it's not just a beverage. It's something that we share with people. It's a social mm-hmm. drink, you know, and it's like kind of an event to open a fancy bottle of wine or celebrate with a bottle of wine. And it has been for a really long time. Like something we'll talk about later is wine is friggin' old. <laughs> yes. It is very old. Um, oh, so I found this. The first artistic depiction of wine, actually, mm-hmm. is a mural on a wall in the ancient city of Babylon that historian thinks is from 4,000 BC. What? Seriously. From 4,000 <laughs> BC? Yeah, that's what I mean when I say wine is freaking old. <laughs> that's pretty damn old. But the cool thing is that the what the mural is is people drinking wine together. It's like a, oh. people, people in court drinking wine together, right? So for centuries, millennia, it's been this important, social, culturally significant drink. And so mm-hmm. we're joking calling them heroes, but I feel like they're kind of like, Taking that on, taking that to the next level and really celebrating not just like, oh, this varietal or Cab Sav day or whatever, but like, let's drink this together. The one that I think is pretty smart mm-hmm. is Open That Bottle Night. Yeah, tell me about that one. Mm-hmm. So Open That Bottle Night is the last Saturday of February. And this was created by a couple of journalists, I believe wine writers for the Wall Street Journal. So you know how we all have those special bottles of wine mm-hmm. that we just keep locked up in our cellars, of course. <laughs> Right. And we're, yes. we're just saving them for my a special occasion. <laughs> and we don't open them because we're like, all right, I'm going to wait until something really cool happens or there's mm-hmm. a special date to do it. But then we never get to them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's happened too often. Well, these writers created Open That Bottle Night as a way for us to get that special bottle and actually open it and drink it together with our friends and family. That is genius. I mm-hmm. love that idea. Oh, yeah. Because I've totally had that of somebody, you know, somebody gives me a really nice bottle of wine and I you know, want to save it for the special occasion. And then they don't last forever, people. Like, they really they don't. don't. And then you, you know, finally there's a day, either you never open it or finally there's a day you want to <laughs> open it and it's gone bad. Uh-huh. It's so sad. Oh, totally. You're right. I mean, they have a shelf life. They're not good forever. It can go bad. So you do need to open it and don't keep waiting. And thanks to Dorothy Gator and John Brecher... Shout out to Dorothy um, and wonderful John. wonderful writers. They created this day in the year 2000. And they, they put this out there by publishing an article for Open That Bottle Night that was like a whole guide for how to celebrate, how to invite your friends and family, how to do your own little tasting. And they even had tips, which I think are really important, especially if you've had that old bottle mm-hmm. sitting there, like what to do if the cork breaks in your <gasps> wine. Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> I hate uh-huh. that. Ugh. And then also like, hey, have a backup bottle of wine ready just in case oh, your wine went bad. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then this day, I love, and I celebrated it in a very special way this year. Which one? Mm-hmm. It is wine and cheese day. Oh, yeah. Oh, wine uh-huh. and cheese. I love them. Love them both. Love them separate. Yeah. Love them together. Just love exactly. it. Exactly. Same here. And thanks to another writer. I mean, man, all of these freelance writers are creating really great wine days. This one was started back in 2014, and I decided I'm going to celebrate and do my part to participate fully in this wine holiday by getting my own wine and cheese pairing, which was, okay, I'm showing you this on our little video, (gasps) my box of rosé and white cheddar cheeses. Holy shit. Isn't this incredible? Okay, listeners, we'll link to this, but I'm going to describe it to you. It is one box, and on half the box, it's house wine rosé with a spigot. Mm -hmm. And then the other half is white cheddar Cheez-Its 
And it's my favorite thing I've ever seen in my oh. life. Oh, my God. I was so excited when I saw them release this. They did a limited edition last year and it, you know, flew off the shelves. Sure. <laughs> sold out online in like minutes. And so the second I heard that they had a new limited edition box for this year's Wine and Cheese Day, I was waiting by the computer <laughs> for the launch to happen. And I snagged like, a box. It's, it's like the Coachella of snacks. Oh, just man. <laughs> Yes. Just open all the different browser tabs. You're in there. You're oh, and I was like, refreshing, refresh, refresh. <laughs> is it there yet? Um, and I was so excited to get it. So this thing is like, what, four, the equivalent of four bottles of rosé mm-hmm. in the wine half of the box. Damn. And then the Cheez-Its, the mm-hmm. white cheddar Cheez-Its. Um, there's about what they say are 20 servings of Cheez-Its. <laughs> now, I don't know what that translates like for Leah serving. <laughs> Probably more like three or four um, yeah but oh it's a great pairing too it was like yeah this is awesome and i, I never would have thought of that like mm-hmm. i never would have thought of white cheddar crackers to go with a rosé i love that that's a suggested pairing like even though i i, I was not waiting on in 10 browser tabs <laughs> to procure this i'm gonna live vicariously through you like now i want to try that pairing oh you should i highly recommend a rosé and white cheddar pairing because this mm-hmm. was good especially and if it comes great. in a box with a handle oh totally it <laughs> makes it so easy and convenient excellent cheese it yeah. uh if you want to sponsor this episode yes just give us a call <laughs> we're here we're, we're ready to cheese it and cheese it. it slide into our dms and let's <laughs> cheer it you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> There's like three rosé days? Yeah. So speaking of What rose, is the story of the three rosé days? So we know rosé is obviously like pretty popular. Well, right. Rosé all day. Rosé all mean, day. I mean, you have to get a certain level of popularity to get your own shirts at Target. Mm, very true. <laughs> very true. Well, with rosé day, oh, wait. there's... Wait, Leah. Yeah? We're going to talk about rosé. Should I, should I oh crack open? Should we shift... To rosé as we're yeah, drinking? we should we should change wines. We should switch wines. All right, I'm reaching in. I'm going to try a Paper Plains Flight School Ooh. rosé <gasps> from the Sonoma Coast. All right, here we go. We're going to try this too. These are all out of cans, by the way, everyone. Putting putting our money where our mouth is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's lovely. Oh. <laughs> Oh, it's like light and smooth and sweet. Ooh, oh, what a cute rosé. I want to get one. Of, I'll get one of those. Get one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Back to the task at hand. Oh, yes. Three rosé so, days. Three rosé days. This is like a crazy food holiday calendar conflict. It's um, pretty hotly debated in mm-hmm. the you know food holiday calendar <laughs> crowd. <laughs> but yeah, so here's the thing. The rosé day that, that I first knew about celebrated on the second Saturday of June. Okay. And I read that this holiday was started in 2015 by a very popular Swedish rosé maker named Bodvar Hofström. Ooh. Um, yeah, also known as Bodvar House of Rosés. <laughs> so if you go to the Bodvar website, they actually claim to be the, quote, institutor of National Rosé Day in the U.S. And in fact, when they first celebrated it in 2015, they did so with like a huge bang. 
They mm-hmm. held a party in the Hamptons. <laughs> <laughs> they know their market. Um, yes, they do. Brilliant. And, and they knew for sure that the goal was to spread awareness of, of what they call summer's water all over the world and to get their bottles into the hands of a bunch of celebrities and in front of, you know, a whole branded step and repeat. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bodvar went on to do interviews, you know, Ooh. to help promote the special day. And I think you just need to listen to this interview that Bodvar did with the ladies of Good Morning La La Land oh, to God. promote National Rosé Day. I can't wait. Let's you do ready? this. Live from Los Angeles, welcome back to Good Morning La La Land. In honor of National Rosé Day tomorrow, we have the founder himself, Bodvar, in the house. Thank you for being <laughs> with us today. Oh, I love being here. Thank Rose you. Rosé all day. <laughs> Who in the world does that? Like, what was the moment where you're like, I'm going to actually declare this as a national day? Mm, I can tell you. It was 2015 in New York on an outside patio. And I was actually sitting with some good friends. And I was just coming up. Why doesn't Rosea Wine have its own day to celebrate happiness, celebrate summer? and uh, love pink is all about love, love. Exactly. exactly we should not forget mm-hmm. about love exactly mm-hmm. so 2015 uh, i came up with that and same year we had our opening event in hamptons and it was such a fabulous you know start of this you know uh, big thing the phenomena that really have grown very really very much yeah mm-hmm. rosé is an absolute trend it's a force to be reckoned with for years mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. what is it about this summer water mm. What, what Rosea wine, uh, wine does is uh, actually affordable luxury. Leah, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't decide if I love the term summer's water or if I hate it and never want to hear it again. Um, yeah, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of hating it. <laughs> so, okay, yes. that's rosé day number one. That was rosé day number one, Bodvar's rosé day. And then there's another rosé day on the fourth Friday of June. So Ooh. not like just a couple weeks after Bodvar's day. Mm-hmm. But this one was started in 2018 by the Organisation Internationale du Rosé. Wow. So it's an organization in Provence. Of course. Uh, that decided <laughs> rosé day should be on the fourth Friday of June. So Why yeah. didn't they just go with Bodvar's? I feel like they're saying, well, we're, you know... French, <laughs> we <laughs> we want our own rosé, and, and our day is going to be international, Ooh, not national rosé day in the U.S. This I get is that. like I can see the French being like, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, no, we will not ride the coattails <laughs> of your rosé day. We want our own rosé day. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm sorry, French people. <laughs> but yeah, so the answer is day. they made their own day just because. Yeah, just cause. Just cause. Did they have a party in the Hamptons? Um, no, they didn't. They probably had theirs on the Côte d'Azur. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was the second day. Okay. And now there is even a third day. Mm-hmm. And this day was this actually like, started. Mm-hmm. This is like a smackdown. This is like oh, yeah. a celebrity rivalry between Rosé days. Like, I feel the heat. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right, so who is this daring third party that decided to enter into this fray, this rosé fray? Well, here is the crazy part. This third party? This rosé day celebration was started in 2005. (gasps) So, like, way before the Bodvar day. Yeah, that's the OG OG day. It is the OG day. Okay. And their day is on August 14th. So, August 14th, 2005, uh, there was a food blog 
called mm-hmm. Wine Geeks uh, that was written by four sommeliers. Okay. And they wrote and published this article proclaiming August 14th in 2005 to be National Rosé Day. So they were way ahead of the curve. They really were. But I, I guess because it was just like a humble blog right. at that time, you know. They did not have tough. a whole organization <laughs> right. behind them. They weren't being backed by Big Rosé. The Rosé <laughs> the rose Lobby. <laughs> the Rosé Lobby. No, they didn't have the step and repeat and the Hamptons party either. Mm. But they were really the first. Okay, so now we have kind of a big decision, Leah, mm-hmm. here at Every Day is a Food Day. Which of the three uh-huh. Rosé Days... Are we going to back? Which are we going to say is the official? I'm going on the record uh-huh. and saying that the official day is August 14th, the day that was proclaimed, declared by WineGeeks.com. You heard it first, folks. Here on Every Day is a Food Day, the definitive, <laughs> the definitive authority on legitimate food and beverage holidays. Mm-hmm. We endorse August 14th as Rosé Day. I mean, we should celebrate on all the days. Yeah, but- no, I mean, we're going to drink white rosé on all the days. It's, it's, <laughs> that, that wasn't the question, Leah. But we can go really hard on the 14th <laughs> of August. Excellent. Perfect. I love that. There, God, there are a lot of wine holidays. Mm-hmm. We better get busy. I know. All right, we've covered our holidays. Should we get Should we get deep in the deep dish? Yeah, let's get deep. All right, next in our deep dish segment, I'm going to look at wine's alternative packaging craze Hmm. and answer the question, what is the best wine container? Good old bottles or boxes or cans? Hmm? Stick around. Should we take another little wine sip break? Ooh. Crack open a new wine? Crack open the next wine. Should I go with my next can or should I switch to this box? I think I'm going to pour a little bit out from from this box wine that pour I have. Out. Should we box wine it together? Yeah. All right, let's yes. let's do it. <laughs> All righty. Cheers. Ink. Now we move on to our deep dish segment, which is the part of the show where I and I get super nerdy and go down a rabbit hole of research and exploration on some topic related to the food or beverage at hand that intrigues me. Okay, so today we're talking today we're talking about wine. Yeah. <laughs> we heard about all these wine holidays. You know, I, I've seen all of these new containers. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. there's cans. There's like six packs of wine. There's like <laughs> juice boxes. There's pouches. Yeah. There's like, and I've never seen that before. Like, I thought it was just straight up bottles uh-huh. uh, forever. <laughs> and it turns out it is forever. Like, <laughs> like wine is really old and it yeah. hasn't changed in a really long time. And then all of a sudden in the last few years, mm-hmm. you've seen all these different containers. So when I say wine is old and it hasn't changed, let me give you like actual facts to back that up. Okay. So first of all, the oldest evidence of wine is from like 8,000 years ago, from 6,000 BC. And then in 5,000 BC, we see the first evidence of containers, which is basically barrels. In the foothills Hmm. of the Caucasus Mountains, they just had sticks bound with leather to transport their wine. Barrels. Interesting. Like if you go to a winery today, there's still barrels, right? Yeah. (laughs) Then in uh, 3000 BC, 
in Egypt, they started putting uh, wine in clay jugs sealed with beeswax, which is okay. sort, of, sort of the predecessor to, to wine bottles, right? And get this. On the outside of the clay jugs, they would mark the date the wine was made, the name of the vinter, the winemaker, and the region uh-huh. it was made of. <laughs> so, <laughs> Leah, what does that sound like hmm. to you? Uh, totally sounds like, you know, the wine label that we see right now. So it's like 5,000 years ago, Egyptians made up the wine label and all of civilization was like, cool, we'll stick with that. Then all the way to 1600 AD or BCE, I guess, is when you see glass bottles with cork stoppers. And then that's pretty much it. I mean, in the, in the 20th century, there's been some small changes like uh, synthetic corks or screw mm-hmm. tops, which, by the way, have a name. They're called Stelvins. What? I never knew that. Yes. Stelvin. A Stelvin. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, your friends. I Long am. Th- I feel so <laughs> smart. Impress your Zoom date. <laughs> anyway, Stelvins, and then there's like Franzia, good old Franzia's wine uh-huh. tap, like bag in the box concept. And then that's it. Wow. Right? Like that's it. So pretty much for thousands hmm. of years, we've we've done wine one way. And so my question is, like, why is this changing in the last two years? And is it a fad or is it for real, right? Mm -hmm. So one big reason why it's changing is us. Hmm. Leah, it's millennials. We did did it again. (laughs) (laughs) Oops, we did it. As a famous millennial once said, oops, I did it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it turns out wine bottles, glass wine bottles is yet another thing that millennials ruined. Sorry. It's like Sorry, wine bottles, guys. Toys uh-huh. R Us, Circuit City, <laughs> Applebee's, <laughs> Applebee's. So millennials, let's be clear, uh, people born from uh, 1981 to 1996, people who are 24 <laughs> to 39. So that's us. So us, yeah. <laughs> so millennials are the largest chunk of the population and we're all drinking age now. Ah, same. Okay. So, uh, millennials' preferences and habits are really driving changes and trends in the beverage industry, just like a lot of industries, right? Mm-hmm. So, research shows that in general, millennials want wine that is uh, portable, affordable, tech savvy, health conscious, eco friendly is really important. Mm-hmm. And less fussy we're just not that pretentious about our wine as uh, we just uh, proved right. <laughs> as <laughs> i just showed you as we my... just proved <laughs> we prefer our wine in boxes with handles right you know what i might be okay with a stelvin <laughs> does that mean i don't have to mess with foil done right i mean i, I would rather it be easy to drink the wine than fancy yeah, right i, 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 I don't want to work look man <laughs> i don't want to work i have to work so hard to get through the day i don't want to work to get to my wine yeah don't make me <laughs> okay for future reference all our episodes will be taped while we're drinking wine even if it's not about wine i i think so i yeah. feel like this is the format guys i feel loose <laughs> i feel happy we've had a breakthrough today on every day is a food day <laughs> someday when we're doing our spinach episode <laughs> oh Gonna be like, before I do a deep philosophical dive into the psyche of Popeye mm-hmm. on this spinach episode, <laughs> I'm gonna break into this Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> Is there a spinach flavored cheese? It. Hmm. 
Something to look into. Something to look into. Cheese it. it. Call us. (laughs) So, so millennials' preferences, just like these, are really driving trends in the beverage industry, in the alcoholic beverage industry. And one of those is alternative packages, including Mm. bottles, cans, even things like pouches, slushies, ice creams, things like that. Today, we're going to talk about bottles, boxes, and cans. Okay. So, my first question is are they actually as good as bottles? You know what I mean? Is it like a is it a fashionable fad thing or are they actually good containers or are we all just drinking wine out of a cardboard box because the rest of our money goes to our student loans? (laughs) (laughs) Inquiring millennial wants to know. (laughs) That's that's the first question. Okay. But I know somebody who would 100% argue that wine in boxes is better. Really? Who is yeah. this person? Let me tell you about my grandpa Chet. <laughs> oh. You guys, I'm going to talk about my grandpa Chet often because he's the best. Grandpa is a 96-year-old jazz musician with <gasps> a lot of opinions. He is definitely where I get my performing gene and my like ranting gene and why I'm terrified I'm going to live forever. <laughs> so my grandpa has a lot of opinions, which he would be really excited to share with you. And one of those is about wine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the thing. He only drinks boxed wine <gasps> because huh. he, he says that the bottles are only for, and I quote, snob factor (laughs) he says that they only put wine in bottles so they can charge snobby people more money and you Hmm. can get just as good wine in boxes and people don't want to buy wine in boxes because they are snobs whoa yeah so it's always been kind of like like a family joke (laughs) like my my grandparents lived that sweet sweet franzia life since i was Born. They've had like a box of Franzia Merlot on the counter in their kitchen. And Reader's Digest told them, I think in 1971, that having a small glass of red wine with dinner every day is good for you. Right. I mean, they're 96. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it obviously works. Like Reader's Take Digest has, has a point. But as I was doing research on this, on different containers for wine, I started thinking, like, is my grandpa right? <laughs> Is he right? After all these years? All this time. All this time? Grandpa has Could a it be? point? <laughs> okay, so our questions we're going to focus on in this deep dish are, first of all, what is actually the best container for wine? Yeah. Bottles, cans, or boxes? And has Grandpa Chet been right all along? <laughs> like, can you get just as good wine in boxes As you can in bottles. And is the bottle just for, quote, snob factor? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what we're going to dig into on our deep dish today. So first, we're going to look at what's the best wine container. And, like, I I just don't want this to be subjective. Like, bring my own, you know, just my own opinions to things, right? I Mm want to be objective. So I, I did a little study, I did some research. I did some testing. Not going to okay. lie. And I scored each of the three container types from one to five <laughs> on the following characteristics. Ready? Oh, yes. Value. Mm-hmm. Portability. Mm-hmm. Fussiness. 
Good one. Eco-friendliness, quality, and reputation. Oh. Yeah. I that's like what that. I'm I'm calling snob factor. I didn't want <laughs> You don't want to say I don't want to say factor. snob factor. I want to say reputation. Reputation. I yeah. also love it that you have this system <laughs> for scoring. This you know, rubric. <laughs> Leah, I forget how weird I am because I'm the daughter of two scientists. And then I do something like, I have this question about wine. I'm going to do an experiment. <laughs> I'm going to gather you my need data. You little, like, poster board. The, like, trifold. The trifold. <laughs> Science fair. Uh-huh. Hypothesis. <laughs> Ooh, so tell me about your study. I'm excited. Okay. So first, some metrics. We're going to go by the industry standard metrics for volume. So a standard glass of wine is 150 milliliters. Okay. And a standard bottle of wine is 750 milliliters. So one bottle is equivalent to five glasses. And again, that's the industry standard. If you're, <laughs> you know, if your pour's a little heavier, yeah. We are not here to judge. No, no judgment. Okay. Round one, value. We need a little like a little boxing. Yeah. Round one. Bing, bing. Okay, bottles. As far as cost goes, there's a huge range. Okay, but we'll go with averages. So Mm -hmm. according to Vivino.com, the median price for a bottle of average quality wine is $15.04 or about $3 per glass. Okay. Okay. But all these containers, right, you are paying for the actual container. You're not just paying for the liquid. Yeah. Yeah. So glass itself is expensive. Just Mm -hmm. pure glass is really expensive. And since glass bottles are heavy, they're hard to pack, they're expensive to transport. Ah. And value isn't just cost. It's also, does the wine last? Is it going to stay good? Is it going to go bad immediately, right? So an open bottle is only good for about five days. All right, so ah. so it can stay fresher longer with a synthetic cork or a Stelvin. Mm-hmm. But if it's just you or you and a friend, you do run the risk of opening it, not finishing it, and then having to dump it, right. which is a waste. Oh, so sad. You can age wine. The only way to age wine is in a glass bottle with a natural cork stopper and no foil on the top, but it's still sensitive to light, air, and temperature. So it can easily go bad. Ah, uh. Yeah. So that's why we need to open that bottle night. We do. Yeah. Very important. The cost of canned wine tends to be pretty middle of the road. Mm-hmm. For example, a four pack of Bev Sauvignon Blanc is $14.99, similar to the $15.04 for the average bottle. However, it tends to be lower cost per glass because of the size of the cans. Oh. Let me explain. Most cans are 250 to 375 milliliters. And remember, one glass is only 150 milliliters. And that four pack of Bev wine I mentioned, each can is 250 milliliters, meaning that the whole pack is actually a full liter, which is equivalent to one and a third bottles or seven glasses of wine. So the cost per glass comes out to only $2.14. Right. Cans are also a good value because since they're in individual servings, you don't run the risk of opening one and then not drinking it before the wine goes bad. Yeah. Okay. So so cost for boxes. I mean, there's like a reason why depression era people and college freshmen buy box wine. Uh-huh. It, it, it is. The, you get the most bang for your buck. 
let's just, how can I say this in a positive way? It's the most cost efficient. Yes. Boxes yeah, that sounds most good. Cost efficient. Okay. So a um, a good time box of Franzia is five liters, which is 35 glasses of wine. And it costs about $13.99, which comes out to <gasps> 34 cents a glass. Oh, yeah, I I get it. <laughs> I get, I've had those days. Uh-huh. Um, definitely something that boxed wine companies, there's all these boxed wine companies are popping up, are really leaning into as a selling point. So here is a mm. very dramatic commercial from Black Box Wine. To get the quality of award-winning bottled wine for 40% less, lose the bottle. But not only is it low cost... It's a good value because the wine stays good for up to five weeks Mm -hmm. after you open the box. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so the value score is bottles three, Mm -hmm. cans four, boxes four. Now we need a little like, (laughs) ta-da! Next round, portability. So first of all, bottles. Oh, bottles suck. And remember taking a bottle of wine and having it roll around in the back of your car? <laughs> and you'd hear it like, <laughs> like oh, God, like, uh-oh. don't break. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a weird shape. The glass is breakable. You always need a accoutrement. You need a glass. Uh-huh. You need a bottle opener. Right. And a lot of public places have restrictions on glass. So if you're going to a park or the beach, you can't take it with you. Boxes? Boxes are okay. Right? It's, a, it's an easy shape, so it's easy to stack, easy to pack. But yeah, it's bulky. I mean, you're not going to like throw a five liter <laughs> box of Franzi in your bag. Yeah, it'd be a little tough. <laughs> and you still do need, uh, you do need glass. Unless you're drinking it right out of the spigot. In which case, <laughs> we're not judging Kudos. you. We're just judging you. Live your best life. And cans are perfect for portability like we said they're individual servings you can throw it in your bag there are way fewer restrictions on aluminum and you don't need any accoutrement no at all perfect oh and also if you're drinking a white wine or a rosé or something that you want to keep cold aluminum keeps wine colder longer than cardboard and glass oh i like that so portability score bottles one Mm. Cans, five. Yay. Boxes, three. (laughs) Round three. Fussiness. Ooh, the fuss factor. The fuss factor. (laughs) Bottles, so fussy. So needy. (laughs) Fussy bottles. Uh Uh-huh. You got to deal with the foil. You got to deal with the cork. You need a bottle opener. The cork can break, can crumble. Yes, Oh, I hate it when that so happens. So we got to fish it, it out. Oh my God, it's the worst. And you need a glass. Again, unless you're just <laughs> drinking it right, unless you're just pouring it straight <laughs> into your mouth. Boxes, again, are okay. You don't need any accoutrement except, uh, except a glass. Cans, zero fuss. So yep. great. You need nothing but your finger and your mouth. That's that it. sounded weird. <laughs> so, fussiness score. Bottles, one, again. Mm-hmm. Cans, five. Yay. Boxes, Four. All right. Okay. All righty. Round four. Eco-friendliness. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is one of the biggest reasons why consumers are getting more interested in boxes and cans and why smaller up-and-coming wineries are choosing alternative packaging over glass. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about this, keep in mind that 90% of the wine in the U.S. is made in California on the wow. West Coast. But the majority of the U.S. population is in the eastern half of the country. Oh. And you got to get it there. So if you think about hauling a truckload of wine from California to New York, right, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a huge carbon footprint yes you know glass is heavy it's not easily packed it is a pain to transport and you pretty much have to transport it glass is really hard to recycle you know oh, it varies yeah, from, yeah. it varies from county to county not every county will recycle glass mm-hmm. plus the screw tops and uh, i'm sorry the stelvins the and <laughs> synthetic cork are not recyclable like synthetic cork lives oh. forever right mm. so eco-friendliness not good boxes are so much better okay yeah not only is the cardboard very easy to recycle but transporting it is so much easier an article in the new york times by a guy named tyler coleman uses this example a standard wine bottle holds 750 milliliters of wine and generates about 5.2 pounds of carbon dioxide emissions when it travels from a vineyard in california to a store in new york a three liter Mm. box of wine generates about half the emissions per 750 milliliters. So switching to wine in a box for the 97% of (gasps) wines that are made to be consumed within a year would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by about 2 million tons a year or the equivalent of retiring 400,000 cars. What a crazy impact. Right? I never even thought about that. It makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And then cans are also very good, right? Aluminum mm-hmm. is very light. It adds not a lot of weight to the liquid when you're transporting it. And aluminum is the second easiest material to recycle after steel. It's also the most frequently recycled. So according to the EPA, only 26.4% of glass containers actually get recycled, whereas beer and soft drink cans get recycled 55% of the time. Whoa. So more than more than twice as much. Oh my gosh. Right? So the eco-friendliness score is bottles one, cans mm-hmm. five, boxes four. <laughs> Round five, quality. So we got to hand it to bottles on this. There's a huge range. Yeah. You got like your mm-hmm. two buck chuck over here, and then you've got the world's most expensive wine, which I believe is $550,000. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're wondering, should wow. I buy a house or should I buy a bottle of wine? <laughs> you have options. Yeah. Yeah. Cans are pretty good. Like as I've become a canned wine connoisseur, I've mm-hmm. been really impressed by the quality of wine, especially by vineyards and winemakers who are starting out making wine for cans. Boxes, as far as quality goes, <laughs> quality is not what it's known for. It's not known for that. Not yeah. what it's known for, which is okay. Like, it can just be the official wine of your cousin's baby shower, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It is getting better. There are several companies that are really focusing on boxed wine. There are mm. lots of reputable companies that are beginning to put their most popular wines into boxes. So you have a lot more options than what there has been in the past okay but as of right now it's a bit limited yeah limited we'll say Uh uh-huh so quality score is bottles five cans Mm -hmm. three and boxes two yeah i mean that has it's got to go to bottles yeah 
And our our last round, our final round, reputation, or as my grandpa would call it, snob factor. (laughs) Bottles obviously have the best reputation. I mean, it's not even reputation. It's just that's what you think of when you think of wine, right? Yeah. They're the default. They're also beautiful and elegant and, um, you know, sophisticated. Cans aren't as well known. It's a, it's a relatively mm-hmm. new concept. And so it doesn't have a really strong take on the on a reputation yet, but the people that know about them especially in the in the winemaker community really think mm-hmm. highly of it. You know, we're ah. we're used to drinking beverages out of cans. We're used to drinking beer and and soft drinks and things like that. And so uh wine itself is still a little bit novel, but drinking beverages out of cans is is not. Yeah. It is also seen as like kind of trendy and independent and fun. It's used in a lot of activities and on-the-go things, and I think especially with younger people. So, again, its reputation is limited, but it's really positive. And in general, boxed wine's reputation is, (laughs) ooh, not great. It's (laughs) not good. It's still seen as like... Uh, kind of trashy and cheap and, um, you know, it's what I used to use for my fundraisers and my <laughs> theater company, things like that. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of the modern equivalent of jug wine. <laughs> but that's been improving with these new companies investing in it. And it's been improving mm-hmm. because Franzia has been going all in on rehabilitating box wine's image. So just like we talked about at the beginning that millennials are really leading the charge in a lot of trends in the beverage industry, they are targeting millennials. Mm. So last year, they put out their first commercials in 35 years. It was a whole ad campaign called Thank You for Being a Franz. Thank you for being a Franz. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal. And a confidant. Ba, ba, ba. Oh my goodness. So, yes, they take the Golden Girls theme song. Um, uh-huh. And it shows this group of like younger adults, people in their 20s and 30s, going through these like adulting milestones. <laughs> right? Like one person is yes. like trying to cook their first Friendsgiving dinner, and one person is like about to get married, and one person is like throwing a birthday party for their dog, which I, I really get. And uh, this is my favorite vignette is where a bunch of friends cheer on a guy while uh, another friend cuts <laughs> off his man bun. Oh, which really well, is a moment of growing up, isn't it? It's like a, yeah, the, tr- the moment he became a that's man. That's real friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Best friends forever. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So this is a really bold move, right? Of them trying to change their whole persona. That's definitely not what I thought of when I thought of Franzia. So the reputation score is bottles five, cans Mm -hmm. three, boxes two. Oh, poor boxes. Yeah, (laughs) poor boxes. All right, a final tally. (gasps) Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Let's hear the results. Bottles. 16. Mm-hmm. Okay. Boxes, 20. Ooh. Whoa. Cans, 25. <gasps> High score. High score. Cans is the winner. <laughs> That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? I I wouldn't have thought that cans would come out that far ahead. Right. 
of the game. But as you talked through it, it totally made sense right? that it would hit on a lot of those categories. Well, when you start thinking about all these different aspects and impacts mm-hmm. of the wine, it does start to make sense. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So by my obviously very scientific objective, yes. peer-reviewed, peer-reviewed. <laughs> study, soon to be yes. published, and I believe uh-huh. Wine Scientific American, cans are the best receptacle for wine. So yeah. that's the first question. So the second question is, was my grandpa right? Was grandpa right? So here's, here's what I came down to. Okay. Grandpa's kind of right. Grandpa has a point. <laughs> Grandpa has a point, right? Okay. I, I don't think he's right that you can get just as good wine in boxes as you can in bottles. I don't think that's true. Mm. But you can get decent wine in a box. Yeah. You know? And I think he absolutely is right that reputation or snob factor <laughs> is, a, is a huge part of this, right? I really do think that the the reputation of bottles is part of why people are drawn to it. And I think that the reputation of boxes is why people don't drink it. Yeah. So Grandpa's kind of right. I see that. Grandpa's kind of right. He will not be satisfied with, <laughs> with that answer. BT You're going to get a talking to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still going to give him his box of Franzia with a bow on it for Christmas. So like... <laughs> Still going to be favorite grandchild this year again. Uh. <laughs> so as I uh, I came to these conclusions, mm-hmm. I started thinking about why these boxes and cans and all these different things have started come in now. Like we said, wine is really old and hasn't changed that yeah. much. And I think that that is why mm-hmm. the bottles didn't change, but we did. Yeah, and it, so it makes total we sense. the. The bottles didn't adapt to our changing values and lifestyles and and needs. And that created room for these other alternative packages to come in, Mm -hmm. which means we just have a lot more options, right? Yeah. But the thing is, if we have these other options, why do we still go back to bottles? Yeah. Why do we still go back? Food stories are people stories, right? Mm -hmm. Wine stories are people stories too. I think Mm -hmm. that is it. I think that's the people side of it. I think that it has a lot less to do with the convenience or the liquid in the bottle. And I think it has more to do with our emotional connection to it, right? There is just Mm -hmm. something special to opening a bottle of wine. There's just something, like I was saying, people don't, people don't write songs about tapping a box of wine. (laughs) They write songs about popping bottles. It is all about popping bottles. It's like if you think about a romantic date night or a toast at a wedding, Mm -hmm. there is something really visceral about popping the cork, getting that first whiff of wine Mm -hmm. and the sound of it pouring into a glass. And I, I think that we're willing to pay for that. We're willing to have something a little less convenient, maybe a little more expensive to have that visceral emotional experience. Yeah. So I think the bottom line of what we've talked about today is just there's no one size fits all, right? There, there's no con- yeah. one container fits all. Right. We have yeah, options yeah. depending on what's important to you or what you need in that moment, whether that is, you know, the portability of it or the ease of it or the eco consciousness of it, right? Mm-hmm. There's a wine for everybody. There's a wine for everyone. So listeners, we encourage you to try some of these things out. We'll have links to some of the brands that we've talked about today. And yeah, so crack open that can, tap a box and and enjoy. Yay. Cheers. (gasps) Cheers.
Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Every Day is a Food Day. Be sure to subscribe and please rate and review the show to help other listeners find it. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Food Day Pod and join our Facebook group. We want to hear from you. The clips you heard today were from Good Morning La La Land, Black Box Wine, and Franzia Wines. Every Day is a Food Day is a production of Van Valen Productions and Yum Day. It was created by Leah Ballantyne and Anna Van Valen. Our sound designer is Steve Thompson. Our production intern is Emma Massey. And our marketing intern is Eric Chin. See you next time.